0: Okay. Good morning, this is Radio
1: Jackie broadcasting to southwest London on 227 metres medium this wave. Is Alice's restaurant, 90.4 megahertz and we're here to bring you the very best in rock music. You're in Lou the Duke here on Radio City. If you want to write... Anyway, welcome to MAR on 266 metres medium wave, the sound of the
0: northwest.
1: It's a Timside Side radio on 90.2 megahertz VHF. Hi,
2: and welcome to episode 14 of the Pirates of the Airwaves podcast with me, Mark Wakeley. The podcast that chats to some of the people involved in the land-based pirate radio scene of the 1970s and 1980s. This week, we're talking to Bear, the legendary rock gramophone announcer from Telstar One, Alice's Restaurant and RFM, amongst others. He tells us about his journey through radio from the 1960s to today, and his desire to bring back a rock station in the Alice's mould. So, let's have a listen to Bear. So hello everybody, welcome to the podcast. This week we're going to be talking to Bear, who is a a pirate radio legend from the 1960s, 70s and 80s, I think we should say, on many, many stations. I'll let him tell you all about that. Uh, But um, good evening. We're recording this in in the evening. Good evening, Bear.
0: Good evening. How are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you. I hope I find you well. Um, In a chatty mood, I'm hoping.
0: Well, well and sober and uh, chatty enough, I think, yeah.
2: That's good. Uh, we're doing this on the phone because, uh, well, basically we tried to do it another way and it didn't work. So we decided to do it on the phone uh, because I really wanted to, to have this chat with Bear. And I think you'll, uh, you're going to enjoy the next, uh, I don't know, what, however long it's going to be, 50 minutes or so. Okay, well, the first qu- question I ask everybody who comes onto the podcast, I'm going to ask you exactly the same question because I'd love to know where people Get this love of it from. When was the first time that you were aware of pirate radio as opposed to just radio? Uh,
0: well, it's obviously got to be that um, Easter weekend of 1964 when uh, the old uh, watery wireless uh, Caroline uh, came about. So it was, uh, I think we read about it in the papers or something. So I was twiddling around that weekend and found Caroline.
2: Whereabouts you were living at the time? Were you in on the east coast or or in that area?
0: I was I was in Enfield in North London, mate. North London. So,
2: so I assume it was a pretty good signal in Enfield, you
0: know, uh, strong enough.
2: Oh, that's good. That's good. It's good signal. That's the important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Car- Caroline seems to be most people's entry drug when I talk to them on on this. Uh, oh yeah. On this, and,
0: and what sort
2: mm. of what what sort of age would you been been around that time?
0: Uh, that would have been uh, oh, crikey! That would have been. Uh, I was about, I think, I was about eleven at the time. So uh, getting on a bit now.
2: Your your interest in radio, I assume, just developed, and and the pirate radio stations of the sixties um, became your listening pleasure. I would imagine.
0: Yeah, well, I I, I was already into radio uh, before that, because um, uh, mum and dad had one of these. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen one. They had one of these kind of freestanding bits of furniture um which uh, had a big speaker in the front and a and a long medium wave and short wave um receiver uh, or radio if you like um in the in the top part of it it looked a bit not nineteen forties ish i suppose but uh you know I used to twiddle around on that and uh you know you you'd, the b b c light service and home service and or light program wasn't it and home service and third service they were all on there. I think Luxembourg was on there. They were it to take about thirty seconds to to warm up, and uh, that was uh, that was the first uh, radio I got my little mitts on.
2: So the pirates closed down. What do you go to next? do you Do you realise there's other pirate stations on, or is it just Radio One and then moving on to the next thing?
0: Oh no, I, I was uh, frantically twiddling around most evenings. Uh, by the time, 67 uh, came. I had um, a communications receiver, and I was uh, frantically twiddling around on that, uh, trying to find something piratey or or different from um, different from the mainstream. That's that's me to a T. That is <laughs> <laughs> never never follow the mainstream. Always do something different.
2: Um, and when was your first actual involvement uh, in Pirate Radio? When did you first sort of actually get involved?
0: Well, I think. Um, at, at school we um you know there's a sort of group of us that are all like nuts on the offshore pirates and um you know one of us thought that uh well, probably a couple of people actually thought they could um you know knock up a transmitter and uh they seem more adept at that than, than me <laughs> so i but i actually came up with the idea uh could we actually uh, build a transmitter and go on go on the radio and um you know, in a, over a course of a, a few summer holidays, well, probably one or two summer holidays at that, we were on the air properly kind of thing with um, a fairly beefy signal. didn't start off like that, of course. We were only just broadcasting to the end of the road. But, uh, you know, by the time the um, pirates came to an end, I guess that's the kind of thing we were doing, the, the offshore pirates, I mean, doing our own thing.
2: And what was what was the name of that first venture onto the air? Can you remember?
0: Um, I think it was probably... Uh, Radio Ur, <laughs> because we didn't have a name, and um, I, I suppose that uh, tel- I was a bit into, well, I still am into spacey stuff as well. And I suppose the um, the Telstar satellite was a bit of a uh, a big thing back in those days. So we we kind of thought, oh, I know, let's uh, call it Telstar One, you know, and uh, and that's. Um, that's how it all started, I suppose, name-wise. A bit of a daft name, but uh, when you think about it, they're all a bit daft, do not they, really? So.
2: I, I, I certainly thought of a daft name for my radio station, so yes, you're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> Telstar 1 is obviously the, the thing that uh, I first knew you from, uh, again, back, mm-hmm. back in the late 70s. So Telstar yeah. was going quite a long time then, on and off, um, before I, even I heard it.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, myself and... Um, number six, who also was into the um, the album rock format, as, as I was, um, was involved back in those days. And uh, we, we both got busted because um, this was, uh, was it 68? I was playing tapes. I was also, oh, I also had another name on the air. I was also known as Tape Recorder Maniac, and uh, I, I used to record stations. And uh, in those days, of course, we used to swap the aerials over from Transmitter to receiver and vice versa, uh, you know, to to talk to each other QSO wise uh, after the tellies went off at night and whatever. And I was recording um uh, various stations, and then I'd you know while they were like halfway through changing their antennas over from transmitter to receiver or vice versa, I was already like sort of a, a few seconds ahead of them, and I used to pop up and play. Um, and played toast back to them <laughs> with their with their own voices on them. I think this is how um, how Nigel number six, the um, uh, the famous uh, number six, got a visit as well as me. But we weren't that far apart, it was just a, a three minute walk from each other. So not surprising. But um, there we go. And that was his second uh, time he got nicked.
2: <laughs> oh right, okay. <laughs> so he he had an early start uh, with the authorities, obviously. <laughs>
0: uh you know so um, yeah and and, and uh, so
2: you started you started telstar 1 the question i want to know is why did you do it why did you think right i'm going to do a radio station here was it an ego thing was it just for a laugh was it a love of radio the music what was your reason for actually wanting to be a pirate
0: well i think it was um that that sounds like fun let's let's have a go ourselves I mean, uh, uh, originally I was only sort of borrowing my brother and sister's records and playing them on the air. You know, I hadn't quite got into the, uh, the album mock thing at such a tender age, but uh, obviously got there eventually. But, um, yeah, it was just a bit of a laugh at first, I suppose.
2: Whereabouts were you broadcasting from?
0: My spare... Well, no, not my spare bedroom. My, my bedroom, yeah.
2: Oh, so it's was just, just I, from the house?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we've always been that way inclined, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, no muddy fields for us. It was, um, it was always, um, always done from the comfort of, um, a bedroom or, or an attic or something like that. You know, we did broadcast from fields and, uh, backs of vans and holes in the ground and all that kind of thing. But generally speaking, we, uh, we preferred the comfort of, um, of a spare bedroom or um, or your own bedroom whatever so
2: yeah and i assume it was all live yeah. live broadcasting as well
0: yeah it's m- mostly all live at this stage particularly yeah but okay. uh, generally speaking uh, throughout without focusing too much but uh, we we did uh, i have done a few recorded um shows and things like that but uh, mostly live
2: and and who was involved then so it was you and there's nigel number 6 obviously uh, and yeah. who who else was involved at that time in those early days
0: well, it was just us, really. I suppose you know, we we just uh, we just sort of come on the air randomly. There wasn't any sort of like set schedule. Oh, it's Sunday. We 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 better go on. You know, not at that not at that stage. Anyway, it was very um, ad hoc.
2: Speaking on a personal level, uh, you know, I bumped into T one. I was told about T one by people, and and the signal was always massive where we lived. It, it was one of those things where it was sort of a bit of an event. If you were on the air, it was always a bit of an event um oh t weller on today and it, it, it seemed to be a sort of a bank holiday thing or you know whenever you guys yep. uh decided that you know you needed to warm the transmitter up again um yep. <laughs> you then appear on the air and, and always how shall we say um interesting presentation style to say the least
0: um well obviously we went into the booze at uh you know in our younger teenage years but um as um, time went on, uh, well, particularly uh, good old Nigel, he, he did like his booze.
2: The presentation style certainly owed a little bit to to liquid refreshment. I think <laughs> it,
0: it's, it's it was probably... like a it was like a radio version of Cheers, Wars, although probably even worse than that. But uh, yeah, good fun though, good fun.
2: With 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 T one, I mean, how long did that go on for? Because it seems to me like it was a, it was a long, long period that you were on the air, on and off.
0: Yeah, I, I can't exactly remember the the, uh, the year we we started with the name T1, but we were sort of like experimenting in from the mid '60s onwards, and um, you know, and playing album tracks as well. So uh, we were probably, well, no, we probably weren't doing it before anyone else, but um, uh, there were album tracks involved. In in the 60s.
1: This is Tolstar 1 closing down on medium wave now. We'll be reopening on VHF 90.4 megahertz in about two or three minutes' time. So if you'd like to tune about on your VHF radios between radio 2 and radio 3, uh, with a bit of luck, you'll find us there if you're in the right direction. But um,
0: yeah, I think it it carried on until 1978, I believe, or 79. Um, A friend of mine who uh, was also into pirating, we'd been over the pub (laughs) again um, one Sunday evening. It was the 5th of November, uh, 78. I think it was or 77, whatever. It was the 5th of November. We'd been over the pub, and um, he said, come over to the car. I've got something to show you. And um, he had this little CB radio in his car, Uh, only one of these little uh, 4-Watt AM jobbies. I thought, oh, that's a fairly neat little piece of equipment. And, um, well, within a week or two, I had my own CB radio, and uh, it more or less knocked T1 on the head, really, because we could kind of get a, a radio fix on a daily basis uh, with this method. And it wasn't, wasn't the same as broadcasting, of course, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of like... Uh,
2: You were getting your RF fix from another place.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
2: And when you were involved in T1, so from 68 through to 78, 79, when it it finished, were you involved in any other stations or was it really just T1 and and you did what you did in that way?
0: Uh, I I think it was, um, yeah, I think it was actually just T1 back in those days. Nigel also, if I I could interject here, Nigel uh, started off with his own uh, station uh, he was he was called Radio UK, but of course you you can't really um, uh, sadly interview uh, Nigel uh, these days. He's uh, he is no more. But uh, yeah, he so he did his own sort of station for a while. But then I think um, uh, we we kind of joined forces and uh, did a did these special bank holidays and uh, you know Christmassy type holiday uh, uh, transmissions. Um, you know just on a. Now and again, basis as as T1, Telstar One
2: was um, Radio UK. Was that a, a regular thing, or was it just another one of these occasions? No, just things a, when Nigel yeah, felt just like the it. Yeah, just occasional.
0: Yeah, you just sort of used to switch on when you felt like it, and didn't care too much if there was anyone listening or not. And um, but obviously, by the you know by the time um, you know the, um, the you know the seventies progressed, and we were we were doing um, you know the album rock format more and more, and um, getting some good results from it, you know. No one else was doing it. You didn't have competition for the, uh, the, audi- the same audience as every other station.
2: Did you have like a phone number? Did you know, you know, did you get request dedications, all that sort of thing coming in?
0: I think, uh, yes. I think, you know, especially towards the end of the 70s, we, uh, we had a phone number and someone would, uh, you know, someone in a, one of our mates in the house would, would just take the calls for us. We also had a mailing address. And uh, yeah, we got. Uh, We got uh, letters and uh, phone calls. About sort of seventy or eighty phone calls per broadcast on medium wave back then, Mm -hmm. and which is um, a fair amount, really, compared to uh, your average um, pop station, which would um, the ones we knew about anyway would only get about five calls each per broadcast. So, um, and, and people say rock music's not very popular. Well. There
2: you go. You know, I've had this conversation with other people and, and, and I think that a lot of Pirate Radio fans are rock fans because of Caroline and because of their 70s yeah. album format. And I, I think it sort of um, galvanised people and made people think, oh, wonder what's on the air. And people who were listen- yeah. looking for Caroline when they weren't necessarily there. And they were bumping yeah. into other stations like T1, which on 235, if I remember rightly.
0: Yeah, 235.
2: Yep, <laughs> I remember that very well. So uh, Telstar won uh finishes you get involved in cb radio for a while i do know or i have been told whether it's true or not. i don't know that there was a certain amount of um involvement with the beginning with the radio amanda as well and that they were using the t1 rig uh for their broadcasting
0: yeah that's right i mean when you know when CB came along well C V came along first and uh I was on there for about six months and then I <laughs> got busted for that so um the next best thing was uh amateur radio so ended up on the two meter amateur radio uh uh band for a while in the meantime we thought well we're not really using the transmitter or the equipment because okay. Nigel came up to uh two meters with me and um so uh I think John Shakespeare of Radio Amanda had got in touch with Nigel somehow I can't quite remember when or how now but uh, anyway um it ended up we 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 gave um uh John of uh, Radio Amanda the old T1 transmitter and um and the turntables and um that's how Radio Amanda came about a similar thing with uh, we had we did have a, a spare FM rig we uh, weren't using and we we set we set someone else up who were just using one of these cheap FM bugs off of uh, or out of the Exchange and Mart at the time. Uh, we, we gave them a sort of a more sturdy, more stable. Uh, I think it was a pie Pi, a converted pie Westminster transmitter, and uh, so we kind of set them up as well. You know, they were kind of. Um, Rock fans as well, you know. Prog fans, prog yeah. fans, <laughs> yeah, prog tastic, mate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the rig's gone to Amanda. That's fine. I remember them as well. John was was a great guy, and uh, certainly helped me out a few times as well. Mm-hmm. Like just just going back to T one quickly. So, what was the actual setup? So, you had what sort of studio did you have? What was your aerial system? You know, how did that sort of work? Was it sophisticated or didn't you really have a clue what was going on?
0: Uh, no, uh, in those days, uh, certainly speaking for myself and uh, probably probably Nigel to a certain extent, uh, I don't think we'd heard about um, SWR, standing wave ratio, until CB came along and then Amateur Radio. We obviously, I had to gen up on that a little a little bit. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the antennas were all just random length, long wires or sort of funny old shaped uh, inverted u antennas in in uh in my loft anyway i thought oh let's have an inverted uh u antenna in the loft because um you know people can't see it then it might be a bit um more difficult to uh to detect you know but uh (laughs) i don't know if it was or not but i i eventually got busted as i said earlier the antennas were just basically random lengths and uh we we just made the, the best of them as we could
2: and what was the studio setup like
0: uh, again, very basic. Uh, we didn't have anything sort of posh and just a, you know, I, I started off with one record deck. I think it was an old BSR deck out of a, a, a radio gram or something, one of those little auto-change things, you know, with a ceramic cartridge. And, uh, yeah, you just waffle as you change the records kind of thing, you know. But um, uh, eventually we got to, um, you know, a twin-deck homebrew um I suppose you'd call it a disco or roadshow kind of plinth thing, which I've actually got in my garage, and it's been refurbished at the, uh, at the moment. And we're looking for one of those 50s-style microphones to, to uh, make it look as original as it ever did. That seems to have gone missing over the years, so uh, that would be quite good to have one of those like 1950s uh, microphones. If anyone's listening who's got one, surface to requirements <laughs> um
2: so, so basically when you open the t1 museum you're going to have this thing set up so that people can come and have a look at it
0: it would be nice it would be very nice you know i'd love to get the old decks uh, fired up again you know and uh and working and uh, you know as, as it as it always was that'll be uh, that'll be a lovely little tribute to all those people that, that that you know we we did have helpers as well not regular helpers but now and again we had um, Maybe uh, a handful of um, of other helpers. Lenny Hamster was one of our more regular helpers. And, um, yeah, he used to come and uh, spin some discs for us as well.
2: Well, uh, I, uh, you know, the one I remember, uh, other than you and, and number six, was uh, Eggbox. It's a guy who called himself Eggbox.
0: yeah. I've inquired with Lenny Hamster about Eggbox. He can't remember. <laughs> it was a fair number of years ago now, I suppose. But uh, I'll have to put my thinking cap on about that one. Eggbox. Who was Eggbox? What was Eggbox?
2: Well, I have a you funny know. feeling Eggbox might have only been on once and may have only called himself Eggbox once.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds <laughs> that sounds very feasible. Very, very feasible, yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I think, yeah. I think T1 was that kind of station, wasn't it, really?
0: Yeah, it certainly was. Okay, certainly
2: so were you were you ever involved on air with Radio Amanda, or was it that just wasn't what um, you were doing at the in
0: time? The, in the early days, the, the the tests and things when we first set it up, I think myself and uh, Number Six Nigel had uh, had a bit of a waffle on the air and uh, a bit of a muck about as we always did. That was it, really. Oh, I think right, okay. I, I might have, I might have done a few more bits with them because they obviously carried on the tradition of doing you know, August bank holidays and Christmas broadcasts, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. And they think, were very much uh, a, an album rock format as well, I think, weren't they, Amanda? Yeah. Yeah. So Amanda have started, they've, they're using the T1 rig. You're now CB guy. The next thing I hear about you is when you appear on Alice's Restaurants. Um, What were you doing between the two? Was it just CB or was there other stations involved between?
0: Well, it T1 was, uh, yeah, CB for about six months and then went on to Amateur radio, two meter band, and um, and then uh, I I I won't mention his name. Well, I'll call him Lod. He knows who he is if he's listening. And uh, I used to talk to him um, now and again on uh, two meters uh, in the afternoons uh, on the way back from work. And um, he invited me round. Invite me. let <laughs> little dodgy, not it? He invited me round to his place on, on one occasion, and uh, I went round there, and um, there was this um, sort of. <laughs> uh offshore pirate radio stickered bedroom and uh and a nice little uh studio in there and um i said oh <laughs> this looks good you know and uh, he told me about what he was doing and uh told me about alice's restaurant and phoenix radio and um would i like to do a bit on um on Alice's? so i, I said um yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> and that's how I got back into um, Alice, uh, well, Pirate Radio and Alice's in particular. You know, again, spinning the old uh, records on, on there, you know. So it never quite leaves you, does it, really.
2: So Alice's Restaurant, obviously I know the guys from Alice's. I knew them very well. They're the guys I got involved in Pirate Radio with right at the beginning yeah. until we, yeah. we went our separate ways. And it was very much a rock format, obviously, and they were very much the into the playing three, four songs in a row, and then telling people what they were and things like that. Mm-hmm. I assume that fitted very much in with what your the way you wanted to do your presentation and your music um, tastes.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's it's really um, mostly about. Okay, we had a bit of a laugh and a lark around on uh, on on uh, T1 analysis. Uh, helps with um you know uh, bottles of alcohol <laughs> but um generally speaking though it was it was it was all about the music really like promoting a music that's quite popular but yet it, it's never really been done properly by any radio station I mean we've had uh, token slots on BBC Radio 1 uh with Alan Freeman on his Saturday afternoon rock show and uh, uh, Tommy Vance and uh, then uh, Alan Freeman again on his Saturday evening rock show and then his Capital Radio rock show and uh, his his Virgin rock show, um, which is better than nothing. But they're all on late at night when people are down the pub and uh, the last thing they want to be doing in that time is listening to radio. So I think rock music really does get um, uh, discriminated against and so it's it's really finding some good rock music that perhaps most people wouldn't even know or hadn't even heard of and um, and, and giving that some exposure on the radio and uh, that's the kind of uh, you know that's the kind of guy I am <laughs> giving albums exposure that they wouldn't normally have you know albums and tracks
1: hmm. A few tracks from Hawkwind. Hope you enjoyed that. I had to go into that next track there. Completely ran out of record. Luckily, I had the Shades commercial lined up. Clever old bear. Shades, of course, open uh, from 11 o'clock. In fact, they're open now. They'll be open until at least 5 o'clock this evening. So if you ever want to go to a good record shop that's got an excellent selection of rock records, that's Shades at 13 St. Anne's Court, London. W1, WC1? Something along those lines anyway. Just uh, not too far away from the, from the marquee. St Anne's Court is one of those funny little alleyway type places, but uh, not too difficult to find. And, um, well, you can always uh, ask a policeman. Uh, that's what me and Dave Lane did but, um, when we went up there a few weeks ago. Gosh. They were so helpful. Anyway, that was uh, Cadoo Flyer from Hawkwind's album, Astounding Sounds, Amazing Music. Before that, we heard Crawler from the same album, the same band, of course. Silver Machine from Hawkwind, uh, a new live-ish sort of version from the uh, new Hawkwind album called Choose Your Own Masks. And starting that whole bit off with Red Lion from the Saxon album called Power... And The Glory. Uh, Only a few minutes left of me, so I haven't played any Cheech and Chong for ages, so uh, I think we'll have to rectify that situation. I'll play this one for uh, John, John and Ruth, and also Steve Price. Hope you enjoy it.
2: The guys who ran Alice's, and and my knowledge of them, um, was that they were very serious about what they were doing. and you know They covered Mm. a really good area, they had a great rig builder, um, Mm. and I know that quite a lot of it was done live. Um, and linked of course so you know and they were they're quite serious about what they were doing and, and mm. um, I always think of them as one of the Big of the last rock stations, as such, before that the, the airways was or the pirate part of the airways was was overtaken by um, mm. by other musical genres. Not I've got not, not got anything against that. That's what they want to do. That's fine. Yes,
0: um, each their own. Each is their own.
2: Absolutely, and I think, especially music stations generally, you know, when you look at DBC and what I was doing and, and Phoenix and Zodiac were doing, and what Alice's were doing, I think that's what. That's the thing that Pirate Radio really helped with was the specialist music radio when you look at LWR and KISS as well. You know, and they they sort of brought that very much to the format. And Invicta, of course, can't forget Invicta. So you're with Alice's. How long do you think you stayed with Alice's?
0: Now, I can't quite remember that. I wasn't with Alice's from the very beginning. Um, Maybe I joined after Alice's had been going for uh, some time. I've got no idea how long they were going for before I joined, but um, I was there... I would have thought from I don't know early eighties or whatever I, can't, I say i can't remember when you know, it was a long while ago now, but um i wasn't the first um I wasn't in the first batch of uh, rock jocks to be on Alice's, but uh you know when I discovered it, I thought, oh great, you know this is good. I quite liked uh, being uh, having gone through the amateur radio um uh, scene then I was always quite fascinated by the the small antennas on the on the amateur VHF bands. And uh, so, um, you know, the chance to get involved with, um, with some Band 3 and, uh, you know, the shorter um, dipoles and things that I used on, um, on VHF FM uh, were, were quite appealing. You know, it was a very, very different uh, setup to the long wire antennas of medium wave. So that was quite fascinating. All that business, you know. Yeah. But uh, I can't. I can't remember when I. Uh, when did I wonder if. I think Alice's last broadcast, because again they went a little bit spasmodic, and uh, I had um, pressures of work. I had to sort of pack it all in uh, towards the um, the latter part of uh, the nineties. But I think the last broadcast of Alice's was something like about. Um, i do not getting on for. Uh, maybe 1990. I think actually, okay. but that that was probably a one-off Christmas special or something. You know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah.
2: And um, so when when so Alice's closes down, basically like, over a period of time, it, it fizzles out. I think is the best way to describe mm. it. I know yeah. you were involved in trying to. Um, Gained one of the license, which the license you went for, I think, was the XFM license, wasn't it? Um, the one yeah. that XFM eventually got. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that and, and what you did, uh, how you were involved in that.
0: Well, I'd, I, I had a bit of a health hiccup in 1990, and um, I thought I can't really go on running up and down tower blocks <laughs> with um, with my health uh, impediment now. So I thought. Uh, I started looking into legal ways that Alice's could get back on the air, you know, and obviously one of them was, um, uh, you know, the conventional route of, um, as some stations have done, uh, of finding the backing and um, going for the London licence, 104.9 as it was, and I'd kept in touch with uh, everybody, and I eventually uh, saw that there was a licence up for grabs, the 104.9 one, and I, said, I, I kept in touch with people. And I, I kept on saying, you, you're still interested in going legal? You're still interested? And everybody said yes. So I went along and um, paid a visit to um, the KSFM boss, Gordon McNamee, and um, he actually um, knew the, the um, uh, Alice's Restaurant founders, as it were, Alice's Restaurant in Phoenix. And he actually said to me, I can't understand why there isn't a rock station so, uh, which was like a big boost coming from uh, Gordon like that, you know. So, I went back to the team and um, nothing happened. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I'm thinking, is this how interested you are? And uh, I-, I couldn't believe it, you know. No one uh, no one really had um, any, seemingly, any enthusiasm once uh, they got uh, a chance to have a go at the big time. Maybe it was too much of a-, a big time to go for, you know. But I'm thinking, well, you know, if you get a chance like this... It's better than nothing, isn't it? Really, but anyway. So, nothing actually happened with the um, with the legal thing at, at, at that time. You know, you know. We have done. Uh, we ha- I have been keeping my hand in. Should we say? Uh, I've always been open to um, getting something on the air. And uh, in 2005, um, there was a shortwave broadcast uh, from a, a 100,000 watt uh, transmitter in uh, Eastern Europe uh, into a Gainey curtain antenna. And uh, there was several million watts coming out of the antenna by the time it had uh, come out of the antenna anyway. And it was a lovely signal here in, uh, in England. <laughs> uh, I think you could hear it over most of Europe, you know.
2: And that was as Alice's restaurant?
0: Oh, it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, stonking signal. And, you know, it just shows you that um, there are other avenues to go on. Of course, now we've got the internet as well. So, um, you know, I haven't stopped. uh, I've got a head full of ideas. And um, sadly, um, you know, there's there's, uh, too few people around these days. Everyone's getting older. Some people aren't around any longer, like Nigel, number six. Uh, But um, it's a shame because now we're able to do something quite legally that can be on the air permanently. And I think a lot of people would like that. I certainly would. Saves all that running up and down tower blocks, being on the air for a few hours, and then getting busted. But um, there we go. Uh,
2: I mean, I mean, I'm on internet station myself. I know people who run internet stations. There are a lot of work. There's a lot of work there without much yeah. reward. But I think if you're passionate enough, which is mainly the reason people do these things, um, mm. I, I, you know, I think it can be it can be for the want of a better phrase, very rewarding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I want yeah.
2: to go I want to go back a little bit in time because I had a, a, a great chat with the guys from RFM uh, all about yeah. <clears throat> all about what they did and the fact that they got into it without knowing anybody or anything about it and sort of stumbled uh, into pirate radio. I know that yeah. you were you were also part of the RFM thing as well when they were the Rock yeah. FM thing. Um yeah. how did that come about? What happened there?
0: Um well I think um I was busy with um doing 80-hour weeks in the music biz at the time and um, doing post-production audio. And um, I was twiddling around the bands, as you do, you know, never stop twiddling around, do you? And um, I heard RFM on. I may have heard about it from someone else, but I heard it on the air, and uh, I'm not quite sure. Somehow I got the, the idea that they might need some more staff. So um, I rang up and uh, spoke to the chaps and I said, you know, do you need any any help? Can I be of assistance? You know, and uh, they said, yeah, you know, so I went along there and uh, started off doing Breakfast with Bear again, you know, so uh, that, was, that was all right.
1: There you go, that was Evangelis and Movement One, Movement One from the album called Soil Festivities, or was, uh, if you're pervy, you might say Soiled Festivities, but never mind, eh? It's uh, two minutes to eight on RFM, a Sunday evening. Howdy-doody. Oh, hello, Henry. Hello. Oh, hello, Nigel, old chap. Hello. You know, the stock exchanger here. Ah, uh, but it's not that bad. I can still afford an RFM t-shirt. Oh. oh, really? Where'd you get those from, old chap? RFM, of course. It's quite economically sound. You just send the fiver. That includes P&P.
0: The nice thing about RFM is that there wasn't any running around to do. It was all pre-set up by uh, the engineering types. And, uh, you know, you just had to... St- turn up with a box of records and, and do your stuff. But uh, I didn't know, I, I can't quite remember the, um, the ins and outs of it, but I, I'm not quite sure if uh, Dave and Claire were involved at that time, but I'm not quite sure. But that maybe they were behind the scenes, not quite sure.
2: Well, they certainly mentioned you when I spoke to them, so I, I think yeah. they, they certainly were part of it when you were there as well. Yeah, um, right, okay. Uh, but, I mean, obviously, RFM were one of the big rock stations again. You know, they, they were sort of their post-Alice's uh, when people yep. people are um, um, still listening to, to rock music. Uh, I say still listening to rock music. You know, when, when we okay. think very much of the dance stations have started to take over, but RFM came along and um, from very, very small beginnings became... Very big and very popular, I think. Um, but again, yeah. a station that's fizzled out. Um, you know, the interest sort of dies off. I know that the split with RFM was one side felt that it should be more commercial and the other side felt it shouldn't. And I think the big difference between things like rock stations and, and those kind of stations is that, uh, as opposed to the pop stations and the dance stations, is that there's... It's done about the enthusiasm of the music and it's not about necessarily making money. If you can make money, great to help pay for your transmitters and all the other things. But uh, I think the big dance stations, and I certainly know that Jackie, for example, as a pop station, you know, they were run as businesses. They were, they, they were run, you know, out taking advertising or the DJs were paying to publicize their own gigs. And these stations were run as businesses where I certainly don't think Alice's ever was. I certainly think RFM never was. And I know that the station I ran never was. Um, And it was all about just, just playing the music. But I think it becomes a lot of hassle after a while. You know, as you say, running up and down tower blocks, we either get too old for it or just get too, you think, oh, really, again this week? And if you're not getting any, you know, financial reward for it after three years of doing it, do you really want to carry on? You know, it's a hobby, really. It is, yeah. Um, yeah. And, that's, and it's a hobby where you're taking a risk as well. That's the other thing. You've always got that.
0: Absolutely.
2: So Talking of taking a risk, how many times have you now um, had a visit from the authorities, do you think, in your pirate radio career?
0: Well, I think um, once for medium-wave pirating in the 60s and um, once for CB in uh, about 10 years later in the late uh, 70s, just before I took the RAE. And and I think maybe a, a few close shaves when we were doing Alice's.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that was remote, wasn't it? So, yeah, if, if you're getting caught there, it was probably just about being unlucky. Yeah. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to ask you was, was T1. All those times T1 were on, blasting that signal out, and basically being, I don't know, T1 on the air, you never got a visit, never got a visit from the authorities?
0: No, no. We did once from Nick Catford, actually, of Jackie, who'd um, ridden all the way up from... Wherever he well, I don't know South London, wherever he lives. Yes, somewhere Sutton
2: or somewhere like that. It was.
0: Yeah, yeah. He came all the way on his. uh, I think a little little Honda fifty at the time, or Honda seventy or something. Uh, He wouldn't come in to the um, flat where we were at the time, uh, and uh, (laughs) as soon as he found out we were live rather than recorded, he uh, he he legged it basically. I think he thought it was far too risky, and uh, that's the last we saw of him. But yeah. It was very nice to meet you. If you're listening, Nick, it was very nice to meet. you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. A, I did a, episode two of this whole podcast, uh, which is available if people mm. want to listen to it. Uh, where I yeah. talked to Nick Catford was absolutely fantastic. He's such a nice person and loves yeah. talking about those days.
1: Um, you yeah, know, and a lot yeah,
2: exactly. But you know, he's a yeah. he's a legend, and I I wasn't sure he was really wanted to do it and he just said yeah absolutely no problem and he, he and he was happy to talk about just about anything i any questions i put to him so yeah. okay so we get to um so we've done rfm uh, sorry alice's rfm what happens next when when all that fizzles out and you you obviously you did the website for the for alice's for a while and things is that it really is that is that the end of your involvement uh other than these little speculative things that you've sort of hinted at
0: uh well there was another station that was on the air for uh, about six months called um rock 106 and uh that was on i think it was on you know tuesday evening or something and a sunday morning or whatever you know it, it was uh, short-lived and uh you know, it was uh, it was something. I suppose you know that was.
2: Um, Who was involved in that then? How did that happen?
0: Uh, that was. Um, I don't know if you know the, the guy Nigel Grant, another one sadly that's no longer with us. Um, and um, oh, I don't know. I won't give his real name, but um, uh, yeah, no, another guy that uh, lived over the road from uh, from Grant. Um, was
2: that another uh, North, they, was that another well, North London thing?
0: Yes. Yes, from uh, the Hainault area. And uh yeah. So that, that was that was probably the last uh the last uh, station I was involved with, really, you know. And I think that then I'd kind of you know decided I couldn't go on with all this running around for the piratey stuff. It's easier to sit down and uh investigate ways to uh, go on the air legally and uh but um You know, it's it's a bit difficult, I think. As time goes on, as I say, people get uh older and uh, more set in their ways and can't be bothered anymore and uh, whatever. And um, they they can't, it's very hard to kind of galvanize people once they um reach that state, you know. But um,
2: I think people like the idea of it, but when it comes to the actual Doing it, I think it becomes a lot of aggravation, uh, and they think, yeah, oh, no, maybe." Yeah,
0: not. I mean, I'm still up for it. You know, if anyone out there is listening, just to let you know. <laughs> do forward, chaps. Well, I'm I, still I'd, up for it. Yeah,
2: I'd, I'd love to think that you'll get loads of people getting in contact with you. I, I, I know if, if you want if you want to do get in, want to get in contact with Bear, he is on the um, Pirate Radio, uh, Land Based Pirate Radio, the '70s and '80s Facebook group, and I'm sure he'd be yeah. very happy to hear from anybody who would. Like ah, Jim, lad. <laughs> you
0: yes, scurvy. exactly. <laughs>
2: Any, anyone, anyone who's got currently got a parrot on their shoulder, I think he'd be quite.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it would be it would be all legal these days, and there are. Uh, well, I am actually sort of in the throes of uh, organising something at the moment, and um, you know, uh, yeah. So, fingers crossed.
2: Excellent. Um, so, in all your time in pirate radio, and all the people you've met, who's your favourite person? Who's the person you think? Yeah, that's the one who who has been. The best, the most supportive—you know—the person who I've enjoyed working with most.
0: Um, I would have to say, I suppose, my um, old mate Nigel is. Um, you know, we we lived three minutes' walk away from each other, and uh, we were always uh, in each other's uh, pads, kind of thing. You know? So, yeah, I would have to say it was uh, it was good old. Good old Nigel. Good old Noddy Nigel. Number six, <laughs> not around anymore, sadly.
2: And 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 what are you most proud of? Out of all the stations that you did, what you know, which which station or which which involvement are you most proud of?
0: Uh, I can tell you the moment uh, that I'm most proud of, and that was when um, on T1 we were broadcasting from uh, a almost top floor flat above Edmonton Green Shopping Centre um and um in north london and um uh, we had a vertical antenna going down to uh some uh, obviously insulated um rail railings at the bottom um of of the uh, run and it more so it more or less went from the top of the block to the bottom um and um we didn't. We couldn't load the end, the uh, the uh, transmitter up very well because again, it was just a random length piece of wire, and it was just um, uh, a bit sort of like uh, Heath Robinson, the you know, in the, in, in its um, setup, I suppose. You know, just a long length of copper wire, and. Um, yeah, we um, we couldn't load into it very well, and I think the transmitter was running something like about 8 watts rather than 40 watts on that particular occasion, but it was a top-fed quarter-wave-ish antenna, and um, we, man- <laughs> we managed to be apparently, so we were told, as strong as Caroline uh, running a few thousand watts. I don't know how how many on that particular day, but maybe 50,000 watts. Uh, but we had this enormous antenna going from the top of a tower block to the bottom, um, eight eight or 10 watts thereabouts, and we were as strong as car on in South End. we got nearly 200 calls on that occasion. And um, you know, I can remember one girl down in Kent saying, uh, I can't believe it. She was saying, oh, you know, uh, there's actually... My music is coming out of my radio for a change, in, you know, instead of the normal pop fodder, you know, that uh, we, we normally get on our radios. It's so unfair. But um, on that occasion, we had at least one happy customer and probably um, 199 others as well. <laughs> so that's that's perhaps the um, – everything from that really is a bit downhill, I suppose. But um, – it's, yeah. it's,
2: it's funny you should talk about that because you're not the first person I've spoken to on this podcast about the, the aerial that is, um, top fed from a flats going yeah. down the side of it, you know, go, going diagonally across from a block of block of flats and putting out a massive signal with not much power. There's obviously yeah. something very significant about that setup, which, which enables yeah. people to push a long way out on medium wave. So, uh, yeah, yeah it doesn't surprise me that, that, that you know, that, the signal went out so well because like I say, you're not the first person I've spoken to uh, who's had that set up and got out really, really well.
0: I think it's because you're above other houses and, um, uh, structures and, uh, trees and things that would normally be in the way of an antenna. You know, the old, um, washing line uh, antenna down the garden <laughs> scenario, uh, if you can raise the antenna a little bit. Um, people think that height doesn't matter on medium wave, but it does actually make a difference. So, uh, yeah, that would be um, a factor.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I was always taught that the the more vertical you had, the better the signal got out. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. <laughs> I think it depends yeah, well, on the all design. The, it,
0: yeah, if you look at all the broadcast stations, you know, BBC and IBM, they've all got vertical antennas because you get a good ground wave uh produced by the antenna yeah. uh, going out from a vertical antenna. And even um uh, pirate ships like um Veronica um they had a T antenna, uh but uh, the the you know, that was a vertical antenna as well, the driven Elements yeah, sent c- Centre
2: Fed, I think it was maybe, um,
0: possibly. Anyway, yeah, I, whatever. Yeah, I, I'm
2: I'm not very good technically with these things. People are probably laughing at me right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not a sort of a a boffin kind of thing, but so you pick things up over the years, don't
2: you? I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. Right, okay. Now, finally, I, you know, you've you've sort of hinted at, at what's happening. What's the future for you in, in in broadcasting? What What do you think? You know is it about getting another rock station on the air um, broadcasting on a regular basis? Is is that what, the way you think you're going to go with the broadcasting? And will it be vinyl or will it be computer? or Will it be CD? Uh,
0: Probably a bit of both actually, I suppose. I mean, obviously um, in the analysis days, we used to have, I think it was Harry, the tape recorder. I think that was uh, his his nickname and that would be just uh, tapes playing, um, you know, test tapes playing if you like you know but obviously with a computer you can uh, play music endlessly really you know uh, uh, n- you know non-stop and uh, i'm certainly um what with my background in the music industry i you know I mean, we used to listen to uh, long pieces of music without being <laughs> without them being interrupted by, by uh, gramophone announcers so um including myself kind of thing so uh i i, I quite like the idea of um you know, an album rock uh, station playing whole albums, whole gigs, uh, whole you know concerts, whatever you want to call them. You know, so the emphasis is um, well and truly uh, on 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 the music. And of course, you can have the title of the tracks or the albums you're playing going across the screen of your computer or mobile phone. So uh, I think the, the 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 days of DJs are limited. <laughs> So uh, that's right. But yeah, I'd love to get it back on the air. And uh, as I say, there's something in the pipeline. There's always something on the back burner sizzling away there.
2: That is absolutely fantastic. Um, It's funny, just very quickly, when you talk about gramophone announcers, the first time I ever heard presenters call themselves gramophone announcers was on T1, funnily enough. um, (laughs) I I think you were doing it as a sort of a bit of a drunken joke.
0: I'll I'll tell you who originated that phrase. It was Chris England of uh, Radio Amy who were taking the calls for us on that day that we had the antenna up the uh, tower block and had nearly 200 calls on that day uh chris england and co of uh, radio radio amy yeah who were quite close neighbors in enfield at the time
2: yeah yeah there was a whole scene around there wasn't there with north London radio and all that all those guys yeah yeah yeah, Yeah, i think
0: uh, it's a sort of a domino effect thing really you know you hear someone on and uh Obviously, it's a, if it's a stonking signal, well, you think, oh, well, I can do that, you
2: know. Yeah, well, well it's the same thing happened with me, you know, on, on the London-Essex borders. I lived in Woodford Green.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and yeah. all the people that I knew from, from that area were involved in stations, you know, and, and it just sort of... Yeah. <laughs> and of course, you've got a guy who can build transmitters and another guy who does studios, another guy who yeah. does compressors. And you all sort of yeah. come together and pull your resources um, yeah. And it, it seems to work out like that. And there was certainly that happened in, in South London. I know that. And in yeah. Southeast London with the guys from RNK and Radio Telstar South and those sorts of stations as well. Yeah. All sorts of knew each other.
0: <laughs> Isn't yes indeed not what you know it's who you know <laughs>
2: exactly it's been an absolute pleasure having you on you are one of the people I did want to speak to um, for this because you're one of my uh, one of the people I really remember from those days in the late 70s and early 80s and I know that you are involved you know T1 a lot of people knew about that Alice's RFM these are yep. all stations that people knew really really well uh, and were very yep. very popular so um, thank you ever so much for talking to us hope to talk to you again sometime in the future
0: Absolutely, mate. Uh, Thank you ever
2: so much for that. I really appreciate you being on on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Pirates of the Airways podcast and my chat with Bear. If you'd like to get in touch with us, just email us at piratepod7080 at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, like, review and follow us. I'd like to thank the good people at amfm.org.uk and thepiratearchive.net for their help in the production of this programme. That's it from me, Mark Wakeley, for this episode and for this year. We'll be back in three weeks' time on January the 4th with a brand new episode. So until then, have a good Christmas, and new year, stay safe, and be careful during those tape changes.
1: Radio Nova, broadcasting on 1404 kHz of the medium wave band, 212 metres. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return you to normal broadcasting just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production.